Stephen Payne's father once told him, try to do something once in your life that nobody else has done. That combined with the belief that perseverance and the sense of ridiculous has led Payne on record-setting wild adventures that Monty Python couldn't have dreamed up in their wildest dreams. Now, as he gets ready for his next quest, he's selling a part of history. What is Stephen selling and where is he headed next? We are taking off to England to find out on this international episode of Marketplace, the podcast. Our little podcast has grown. We have jumped over the ocean, and I've got Stephen as a guest with me today. And wait till you hear what Stephen is selling on Facebook Marketplace. I can't even put into words how cool this is. Tell us what you're selling, because this isn't something you can find here in the States. It's not readily available. I am selling three medieval jousting helmets, early 12th through to late 13th century battle helmets. They are part of the stock that I use in my major hobby, which is medieval battle reenactment. And uh, these ones are surplus to requirement. I bought a, a group of helmets just recently for uh, an adventure that I'm planning to do. I'm planning to ride from London to Paris, from Westminster Abbey in London to Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris in a suit of early 12th century armor. <laughs> on a penny-farthing bicycle, which I believe in the States you know is a high wheel. One very large front wheel, one very small back wheel. I feel like you would chafe. Yes, uh, it's extremely uncomfortable. I mean, the bicycle itself is not easy to ride in the first place. It has no brakes, it has no gears, and the tires have no air in them. They're solid rubber. Cycling in a suit of chainmail armor with a helmet, sword, and shield strapped to you is a little bit tricky on a modern bicycle, but on a on what we call a penny farthing, it's doubly difficult because you're about 12 feet off the ground in all, and uh, the whole thing is extremely heavy. So yes, I'm expecting it to be an extremely uncomfortable ride. I should be riding about 300 to 350 miles and I should be sleeping rough along the way. So when it's time to sleep, I just jump off my bicycle, unpack my cloak from my backpack across my back and sleep in the bushes and hedgerows along the way. It, there so many follow-up questions. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just unpack it while we go along, right? Because um, you wouldn't want to swim the channel in the armor. That would be harder. So you got you got to... Uh, yeah, you've, you've, you've got to go over either on the ferry or on the channel tunnel in, on the train. Um, no, swimming in armor. I've tried that. I've jumped into a swimming pool in armor and you pretty much just sink straight to the bottom. Right. Uh, although back in the, back in the Middle Ages, if a knight was caught on a battlefield in a, in a, in a compromising situation, the force your way across a stream or a river, but, uh, it's not something I'd like to rely on. You'd, you'd probably end up walking across the bottom. <laughs> And you're not just doing this because it sounds like a good time. There's a history to your family that goes back, I don't even know how many years, before there was a United States, before there was a Facebook, right? Tell us about that history. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, um, almost exactly 902 years ago, my 27 times great-grandfather, who was a chap called Hugh de Payan, uh, was a knight in a small French village just outside Paris, and he had an idea to form a new order of knights that would protect the pilgrims on their various pilgrimages to the Holy Land in Jerusalem. 
And he spent most of the year 1117 and 1118 going around Europe, getting support from the crown heads of Europe for setting up this new uh, order of knights, which were called the Poor Knights of the Temple of Solomon of Jerusalem. Uh, later on, they became known as the Knights Templar, and my 27 times great-grandfather was the first Grand Master of the Knights Templar. And uh, the idea was that he, in, eight, in 1118, rode from Paris, Notre Dame, to Westminster Abbey, where the King of England was at the time, in order to gain support for setting up this uh, this new order of holy knights. And my idea was to recreate his journey in the opposite direction. I'll be wearing much the same kind of armor that he was wearing 900 odd years ago. And I don't have a horse. So the closest thing I have is a high wheel bicycle, a, a penny farthing. And of course, I have a couple of coconut halves. So I've, I've come up with a little bracket which affixes to the handlebars. And I fix half a hollow coconut to the handlebar. And while I'm riding along, I bash the other half a hollow coconut on top of the first one. And it simulates quite closely the sound of a horse. That's about as good as I can get. You know, the the, Monty, the real guys from Monty Python might come after you for stealing that idea. <laughs> yes, it's very much a, a, a homage to uh, to Monty Python. I'm of the age where I grew up uh, in the late 60s and the early 70s with a lot of Monty Python coming on the television while I was living with my parents. So, yeah, the sense of the ridiculous is is part of the fun, I think. Well, it is fun. I, you you have this great sense of of adventure. You've done other things, didn't you? Swim the English Channel? Did I did I hear that right? Smoking a pipe, yes, in a Victorian <laughs> bathing costume. Um, basically, for the last oh, for, for for many years now, I've been attempting journeys that nobody else has ever done. My my father once said to me, "Try to do something once in your life that no one else has ever done." And I thought to myself at the time that I'd try that, but I'd try to do it every year. And so ever since then, I've I've attempted a journey each year that's never been done before. Now, all the obvious ones have been done. You know, uh, Peary went to the North Pole, Amundsen got to the South Pole, Richard Branson went around the world in a balloon. So, so all the obvious ones have been done. So you've got to kind of think outside the box now if you want to do something new. So I began in uh, 2015 with a pilgrimage from Southampton to Canterbury in the UK following the line of an Italian pilgrim in the 13th century who did the same journey. Now, nobody's done this pilgrimage for about 500 years since Henry VIII shut down all the monasteries in England. But I thought, well, just because nobody's done it for 500 years doesn't mean that nobody can. So I spent about six months training and researching the clothing and the equipment of the day. And then I spent three weeks in the middle of January walking barefoot across southern England. Uh, which was rather chilly, again, sleeping in bushes and trees. I slept one night in a churchyard and another in a, in a Neolithic burial mound, uh, something like 6,000 years old, underground. And I got to Canterbury and was met by the Archbishop, and, uh, you know, it was it was quite successful. I, I see you walking around going, bring out your dad, but that's just... That's just <laughs> <laughs> well, the following the following year, I thought to myself, it'd be it'd be quite interesting to do each journey in a different way. So that first year, I walked across southern England as a as a medieval pilgrim. Um, 
dressed if you can if you can visualize it dressed very much as obi-wan kenobi would have been dressed with the long flowing kirtle and stuff yes yeah. uh, you know remarkably similar looking to to a jedi the following year to the walk i uh, i decided to to build a coracle which is a small round wickerwork boat about probably about four or five feet across and sail across Wales, dressed as a monk, um, <laughs> following the pilgrimage of a man by the name of St. Brendan the Navigator, who did it way back just after the Romans left Britain in the 6th century. And that was quite successful, although I fell out of the boat at one point and knocked myself out in the water. Oh, I, I did about 350 miles in a boat again in January and uh, arrived successfully at the other end. But probably my most successful one was... 2018, when I became the first person to cross the Alps from Italy to France on a space hopper. A what? A space hopper. Now, now we here we've got the language barrier again because, yeah. like like with penny farthing, I don't think you call it the same thing. It's it's a large inflatable, usually orange ball with a painted face on the front and two sort of rubberized ears on the top. And yeah, you, generally as a, as a child, you sit on it and bounce up and down. A rubber bouncy uh, ball with a handle that kids play with. You cross the Alps? Yeah. On, that's amazing. I cross the Alps on one of those. I, th I think in various countries it's called a hippity hop and uh, various different things. But in England it's called a space hopper. So it's basically a child's toy. And they're great for up and down the garden. But they're not so good at crossing large uh, mountain ranges uh, and from one country to another. Uh, but I managed it. It took about three weeks. I bounced from Italy to France, and uh, I became the first person to cross the Alps on a, on a child's toy on a, on a space hopper. They're hard to cross the street in. Uh, yes, they are more designed for going up and down the garden, um, up and down the yard, rather than over a major European mountain range. But, um, you know, perseverance and a sense of the ridiculous, and you can do almost anything. The advice... Your father gave you his great advice, and I think we should all live by that. But how does it make you feel? It's actually great fun. There's there's a certain childish pleasure to be had for doing something as a as a 57 year old, which which um, probably anybody over the age of 12 wouldn't wouldn't normally attempt. <laughs> and uh, it great it, it, that sense of fun also transfers to other people. You know, you get huge responses from the general public. I, I was up on the top of the mountains. You know, we're, we're seven and a half, eight thousand feet up in the mountains on the Alps, bouncing up and down, dressed in a, a tweed suit and a British Army helmet <laughs> from the 1800s, uh, smoking a pipe and, and bouncing along. And, and you'd get groups of Italian walkers and French cyclists and, and German tourists, and they'd see me coming bouncing along. And almost invariably, they'd call out something like, hey, monsieur, uh, the anglais, oui? They seemed to know I was English without having to to, to, to ask. <laughs> and I think the uh, the heritage of Monty Python and Spike Milligan and that sort of ridiculous British humour that, that's that's quite prevalent over here uh, does seem to have gained us something of a reputation in Europe. So, is there a charitable component to this, or is this just fun? Well, it started out just as a as, as a fun thing to do. Um, I. I teach physics uh, at college level. So my summer holidays were, were long and fairly free, and my winter holidays were, were not quite so long, but also free. So I had time during those periods to be able to plan these things and carry them out. 
And the, the first trip, the pilgrimage to Canterbury, was literally just done because I wanted to see whether I could do it. Sure. Roughly halfway, I was bouncing along in, in a city called Winchester, the ancient capital of England. And a homeless chap that I met there was giving me some advice about how to keep warm because it was the middle of winter. And he was telling me about how to position myself when I sleep and how to stay dry and the importance of staying dry in order to keep warm. And uh, I bought him a meal and carried on. And later on, I went back to see if I could find him. But uh, as with a lot of homeless people, he'd obviously moved on. But I did think to myself, perhaps I could pay him back in some small way by raising awareness for homelessness generally. So that's what I did. I, As I go along with doing these adventures, I, I blog about homelessness as an issue. I talk about the discomforts of sleeping rough and never knowing where your next meal was coming from and the sheer indignity of living out of doors. And although I can't help Pete, the original guy that gave me all the help, I like to think that I've helped other people along the way. Well, that's great. Influence sometimes is the is the greatest thing you can you can use. Kind of got enough track. Um, where do you find medieval here in the United States? I couldn't tell you where to find medieval armor, but how do you find your armor, and, and is, how do you come about finding medieval armor? This is a question that sometimes come up when I've uh, I've had friends from the states come over, and I've uh, taken them for a tour around various local sites, and um, I've talked to people from the states. What is not always easy to understand from the perspective of somebody living in a different country, particularly the States, because the States is that much younger than most of Europe, is that you, you literally cannot throw a stick in the air anywhere in the British Isles and not have it come down on some kind of historical site. Sure. They are everywhere. I counted once over 250 medieval buildings within five minutes' walk of my front door. It's not hard to find medieval architecture in, in the UK, in pretty much any city that you go to. So if you said to me, I want a full suit of armour for a horse, uh, I would be able to think of probably half a dozen people off the top of my head that I know that would be able to make that in, in southern England and probably a good deal more of them in the north and in Scotland that I don't know. So it's it's not difficult. The price of the, the helmets that you're selling to me seems shockingly low. How much are these going for? Uh, I put them on for £50. Pounds. I'd got those helmets because I wanted to try out various designs on the bicycle to see which one worked best. And I've chosen the one that I'm going to ride in, and the others are simply surplus to requirements. Uh, when do you hope to take your journey? Well, I was all set to go last March uh, in the school Easter holidays, right. but uh, that was exactly the time when the first lockdown in the UK came up. So that got cancelled. Then we came out of lockdown about four or five months later, but unfortunately the freight went into lockdown at almost exactly the same point. So obviously I have to wait for a time when both England and France have, uh, have relaxed their travel restrictions. At the moment, you can't go into Paris uh, if you don't live within the city boundaries and, and there's a curfew as well. So it's totally impossible at the moment. So I just have to keep on with the training, but, but that's okay. You know, I'm 57. I need all the training I can get. Well, yeah, there's not a Peloton class for riding in full armor and chainmail. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish there was. There should be, right? There, there, there should be. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of people who ride these bicycles, um, 
in Victorian kit, you know, the frock coat, top yeah. hat. But they're soft. Uh, but, That's just Victorian uh, kit. It's not chainmail. The chainmail, the helmet, the the shield, the sword, <laughs> uh, the the multiple layers of cloth and padded armor, <laughs> and the the turn shoes, the uh, the the twelfth century shoes don't make it an easy ride. But um, if it was an easy ride, everybody would be. Doing well, yeah, and the co- don't forget the coconuts. And the coconuts, yeah. yes, they weren't. They probably weren't actually. Medieval, uh, they weren't probably weren't actually coconuts in medieval England, being that they're a tropical fruit. But um, I, I think I think Monty Python has given me a little bit of leeway right. on that one, and, and and the purpose is merely to make the bike sound a bit like a horse as it goes along. Well, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I feel like less of a man talking to you. I can't get on my Peloton unless I'm wearing padded shorts, and you're riding your bike. <laughs> <laughs> like well, suddenly I, I, I feel have, shorter I and le- just not quite as manly. So where, where can people follow you? Where can people find you so, to buy the armor and also track your journeys? Well, the armor's on uh, Facebook Marketplace. Okay. It's it's under the category miscellaneous, I believe. To be perfectly honest, if you go onto Facebook Marketplace and just put in medieval helmet, then uh, all sorts of different kinds turn up. Uh, and if people want to follow any of my my journeys, or to to, to, to see what uh, bouncing over the Alps on a space hopper looks like, or swimming the Channel, smoking a pipe in a Victorian bathing costume looks like, then obviously they can just search my name, which is Stephen with a V, and P A Y N E. You've made my day. When when it's when the world opens up and we can travel again, I would love to come visit you and, and buy you a drink and just hear some more stories. Everyone, <laughs> everyone should have the bless. Your dad said, do something for the first time. You're the first person on the show from Europe. So there you go. You, you can check another one off the box. Thank you. Well, dad said two things. He said, uh, try and do something once in your life that nobody else has ever done. Yeah. But the other thing dad said was, you've got to die of something, son. You might as well make it something interesting. Amen. Amen. Stephen, thank you for being on the show um we will post all your contact information so people can check out this helmet i know it's going to break your heart to say this but it looks kind of like the mandalorian but it's real (laughs) (laughs) well yeah the mandalorian is the the mandalorian helmet is based on a design called a barboot which was an early 16th century european helmet thank you so much it's been a pleasure what an absolute thrill to be able to talk to steven uh that is really what this podcast is about i believe Everyone has an interesting story, and I love to hear them, and I love to share them. So if you're listening to this right now, send me an IM, send me an email, find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'd love to hear your story. I'm David Wallach. Thanks for listening to Marketplace, the podcast. (laughs) 